Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more light, and more love. Well, it's every seventh episode, or I should say it's the seventh episode since the last seventh episode. And you know what that means if you're a regular listener. Beyond the news, this is where we go through Earth's newsfeed, our wonderful planet, and we find these strange stories, these unique articles that uh, highlight these subjects that maybe are not found in mainstream news, even though they're from mainstream sources. So we go through these articles. If you're a new listener, we find these articles, we aggregate them for you and present them to you every seventh episode. It's called Beyond the News, and we're back again. And as always on my lecture episodes, the Beyond the News episodes, tribute episodes, I have a guest co-host, and she's here with us, Bryn Anderson of Vital Force Herbs. Hello, Bryn. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Actually, I'm going to be completely honest. I'm a little bit under the weather, not feeling 100%, but the show must go on. So here we are doing this together. And how are you? <laughs> I'm doing super good. Um, I feel 100%. So I'll be 100% for you. Great. Thank you for giving me the extra percent that I need. <laughs> so before we get into these wonderful and strange articles, before we read them together and talk about them, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil that is available for purchase. It was developed by a man named Howard Hitt, a.k.a. Big H, and it is a proprietary method, meaning the CBD extracted from the hemp is extracted with that proprietary method known as the HIT extraction method. No chemicals, no solvents, no gases are used. It is 100% natural. The cannabis hemp flower that is used, the legal hemp flower is 100% organic. In fact, everything's organic about it. There is the maximum strength king cobra the regular strength little king cobra and wild thing cbd for pets because we want our beloved pets to have the same high quality products that we ingest as humans we have a discount code and that discount code is big h b i g and the letter h b i g h you put that in the discount code box at checkout and you get free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. Over the months and months that uh, Blue Cobra CBD has been a sponsor, I've said a myriad of wonderful things. So much 
going on in the Blue Cover world. But I'll just say again that there really is no other CBD product like this in the ocean of CBD products. That method that he uses retains the full medicinal quality. And no one else has it. So go there, people. Check it out. Get a bottle. Send me an email. Tell me what you think. Use the discount code Big H. And the website is bluecobracbd.com. That is, again, bluecobracbd.com. And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can go there, follow us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcasts, whatever platform you use, Podcast Addict, there's so many. Click the button that connects us so you know exactly what is going on, when it happens, instantly. So you get those notifications on your device when the episode drops. So do that for me. And most importantly, please tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that's interested in the strange, strange news that we uh, get into in these Beyond the News episodes. And of course, the incredible information that's shared by our world-class guests. Tell them about it. You know them well. Tell everyone. Go door to door. (laughs) Midnightonearth.com. Okay, Blue Cobra ad done. Social media shout out, out of the way. And now Brent Anderson and I will dive into these articles. I've got some good ones this uh, seventh uh, week cycle. I can't say weekly, but I have some good ones this episode. Brent, are you ready? So ready. A woman of many words, (laughs) Brent Anderson. I'm ready. Let's hear it. I'm ready for the articles, Jake. I want to know what you found. I want to know what weird, wild, wonderful news you found. Okay. So on that note, I guess I'll start. So here we go. This is from MSN.com. Headline, Japan is dropping a gargantuan turbine into the ocean to harness limitless energy. Interesting. Here's the article. Deep. Beneath the waves, there's a source of power quite unlike any other. To tap into it, Japanese engineers have constructed a true leviathan, a beast capable of withstanding the strongest of ocean currents to transform its flow into a virtually limitless supply of electricity. Ishikawajima Harima Heavy Industries, now known simply as IHI Corporation, has been tinkering with the technology for over a decade now, partnering with New Energy and Industrial Technology Development Organization in 2017 to put their designs to the test. In February, the project passed a major milestone with the completion of a successful three-and-a-half-year field test in the waters off Japan's southwestern coast. The 330-ton prototype is called kairu, a word that translates more or less into ocean current. Its structure consists of a 20-meter-long fuselage 
flanked by a pair of similar sized cylinders, each housing a power generation system attached to an 11 meter long turbine blade. When tethered to the ocean floor by an anchor line and power cables, the device can orient itself to find the most efficient position to generate power from the push of a deep water current and channel it into a grid. Japan is a country heavily reliant on importing fossil fuels to generate a significant amount of its power. With public sentiment towards nuclear power souring in the wake of the 2011 Fukushima nuclear disaster, Japan is motivated to use its technological prowess to take advantage of renewable energy sources. So there you go. They're harvesting the ocean, people. I, it makes sense with the amount of pressure and current and water that we have figured this out. Okay, here's the next one. CBSnews.com. And I urge you to find this article because there's pictures involved so you can cross-reference it. Here's the headline. What is this strange creature seen outside of a Texas zoo? The city of Amarillo wants to know. And here's the article. Officials in the city of Amarillo, Texas on Wednesday asked for help regarding a peculiar problem, identifying a strange human-like animal that was seen outside of a local zoo last month. The city shared a photo of the creature on social media and said it was taken in the early morning hours of May 21st outside the Amarillo Zoo. Is it a person with a strange hat who likes to walk at night? A chupacabra? Do you have any ideas of what this unidentified Amarillo object could be? The city wrote. And here's the picture. Brayden, look at this picture. What do you think of this? It looks like a ghost cowboy. It looks like a human legs, a furry. A furry. Isn't that a trend to be a furry? It looks like a, a furry to me. It looks like a person dressed in a animal costume. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Members of the zoo were casually looking at footage from the game cameras placed throughout it when they came across the photo. According to Michael Kashuba, the Parks and Recreation Department director, for the city of Amarillo. He told CBS News on Thursday that the cameras only take photos and the now famous picture overlooks an open area of the park right outside the zoo that doesn't receive heavy traffic. He said a staff member had sent him the image after conferring with other coworkers. They reached a consensus. Nobody could figure out what it was. And so that's when we decided to kind of reach out to our community to see if there was any thoughts on what this could potentially be, he said. The request inspired dozens of answers and calls for video of the incident. Many social media users thought it could be a skinwalker, a mythological creature in Navajo tradition that can shapeshift into an animal. Clearly a skinwalker phasing between two densities, dimensions, and what better place but the zoo. I mean, duh, one Twitter user replied. <laughs> of course. Others appeared to be more certain about their response. One person on Facebook wrote, clearly a young werewolf, not a big deal. 
Kashiva said no animals were harmed and no one was at the facility at the time. Most importantly, there's no sense of fear. He said just more of a curiosity. It's just a very unique picture in a very unique location, he told CBS News. Very strange. So just go check that out. CBS News, search Amarillo, strange creature, and you'll get to see the picture that we see. You'll have to figure that one out for yourself. Okay, let's just keep moving. Next article, CNN.com. Headline, two people rescued after falling in a tank full of chocolate in Pennsylvania. That's like a Willy Wonka dream come true. I was going to say, when's the last time you heard of someone needing to be rescued out of chocolate? Willy Wonka. I I think that's the last time. So here we go. Here's the article. Two people were rescued after falling into a tank full of chocolate at the Mars M&M factory in Pennsylvania Thursday, officials said. Both patients were transported to the hospital. Assistant Supervisor Nick Schoenberger of Lancaster County 911 dispatch told CNN. One patient was transported by ground and one person was transported by helicopter, Schoenberger said. The extent of their injuries is unknown, but I bet it's very sweet, sweet, sweet injuries. Fire crews have eliminated pulling them straight out of a tank. Brad Wolf, communication supervisor for Lancaster County 911 dispatch, told CNN earlier, they have to cut a hole in the side of the tank to get them out. Is this Willy Wonka? Wolf said that it's unclear how the people fell into the chocolate tank. No injuries have been reported at this time, according to Wolf. A Mars Wrigley spokesperson told CNN, we are actively managing the situation and our primary focus is supporting emergency teams on site. You know how they fell in. Yeah, come on. How did they fall they in? Fell, they were scooping some. They just want a little taste. <laughs> a little chocolate. I want to know if they continue to make that chocolate into candy bars. No, if they had to drain it. They had to drain it. They threw it away. Come on. That's very basic, I feel like. Unless they figured out a way to clean it. So let's move on to the next one. This is from Boing boing.net very creative website name here is the headline this man has a skin condition that makes it possible for him to stick heavy objects to his face a guy known as canhead i'm wondering if that's his birth name maybe a guy known as canhead holds a guinness world record for his sucky skin condition and the superpower it gives him His skin literally sucks objects to his body and they stay there without falling. He says this is because his skin takes in much more oxygen than other people's skin does. All he has to do is place an object such as a soda can, a cell phone, or even a full can of peanuts on his head or anywhere else on his skin. And the object stays attached to him like a magnet. Oh, that's so weird. So, wow. I mean, (laughs) there's people out there with all of these strange anomalous features, a little extra mutant power or some bonus uh, abilities that maybe the average human doesn't have. I bet it helps 
when he's very busy or he's trying to make sure he doesn't lose anything, he just kind of sticks it to his body. To carry there an extra bag of groceries to the car? Yeah. Stick it to his face? Sure, yeah, there's no weight limit. They didn't really say anything about that. So here we go. Next one, ndtv.com. Sheep sentenced to three years in jail for killing a woman in Africa. The local court has ruled the owner of the ram, do you know Manyang Dal, will also have to hand over five cows to the victim's family. Damn it. In a bizarre case, a sheep in South Sudan has been sentenced to jail for three years after it was found guilty of killing a woman. According to Sudan's iRadio, the ram was taken into police custody. I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. The ram was taken into police custody in South Sudan earlier this month after it attacked 45-year-old Daihu Shaping. The ram had headbutted Miss Shaping repeatedly, breaking her ribs. The 45-year-old died immediately because of her injuries. Oh, my God. I didn't really think you could die from a sheep. Well, it was a ram. She got rammed. Back then, the police had informed that the incident took place in Rumbek East in a place called Akul Yol. The ram was apprehended and taken into custody at a police station in Malang Agok Payam. Speaking to the media outlet, Major Elijah Mabor explained the owner is innocent and the ram is the one who perpetrated the crime, so it deserves to be arrested. Then later on, the case shall be forwarded to customary courts where the case can be handled amicably. Now, citing local media reports, Lad Bible reported that the ram will be spending the next three years in a military camp in a dual county headquarters in Sudan's Lakes State. The local court has ruled that the owner of the ram will also have to hand over five cows to the victim's family. Moreover, Mr. Dahl will also most likely lose the ram at the end of its sentence as customary laws in the region state that any domestic animal that kills a person is then given as compensation to the victim's family. Lad Bimel reported that County Administrator Paul Adhong Majok informed that the ram's owner and the victim's family are related and neighbors. Both the families have signed the contract to formalize the agreement with the police and community leaders acting as witnesses. Wow. Seems like cows are a big thing over there. So, you know, shit goes down and as long as you've got some cows to pay everybody off, you might get out of things. So here's our next article. No cows involved in this one. NPR.org headline. This 830 million year old crystal might contain life and we're about to open it. Ooh. From lemons to ham, salt is a handy food preservative. But researchers studying some really old salt crystals found them preserving something else. Evidence of life. There are little cubes of the original liquid from which that salt grew. And the surprise for us is that we also saw shapes that are consistent with what we would expect from microorganisms, said Kathy Benison, a geologist at West Virginia University. And they could still be surviving within that 830 million year old preserved microhabitat. The salt crystals, aka halite, that Benison and her team studied were originally found in central Australia. 
Benison was part of the team that published these findings in the journal Geology. Although the idea that these microorganisms could still be alive is mind-boggling, Benison said science backed it up. Here she goes. We know by studying life in modern extreme environments that there are organisms that are able to undergo like a survival mode, almost like a hibernation. They're still alive, but they slow down all of their biological activities. Benison suspects that if there are, in fact, microorganisms in the crystal, they could be alive in a dormant state. The halite would need to be opened in order to confirm that this is, in fact, organic matter and that it is still alive. While cracking into the crystal might seem a bold choice, Benison plans to do just that, but she said there's no need to worry. It does sound like a really bad B movie, but there is a lot of detailed work that's been going on for years to try to figure out how to do this in the safest possible way, she said. Bonnie Baxter, a biologist at Westminster College in Salt Lake City, was not involved in the study, but still offered some comforting words. An environmental organism that has never seen a human is not going to have the mechanism to get inside of us and cause disease, she said. So I personally, from a science perspective, have no fear of that. Baxter said these findings were just a major step in studying the origins of life on Earth, but also opened the door to finding life on other planets. And when we're thinking about Mars, we're talking about billions of years probably since microbial life could have been flourishing in the waters on that planet. And so we really need longer experiments in rocks that have been around longer on our planet in order to understand what could happen on Mars, Baxter said. And maybe, just maybe, they could move us another step closer to finding evidence of aliens. In the salt? Okay, article writer. <laughs> There's little Martians in the salts. Well, that wouldn't be surprising. Okay, so here we go. Next one. Next one. This is dailyrecord.co.uk. Here's the headline. Diver swallowed whole by whale thought he was going to die in terrifying ordeal. A diver who was swallowed whole by a whale has recalled the terrifying encounter, admitting that he thought he was going to die. Lobster diver Michael Packard found himself in the mouth of a gigantic creature in 2021. Incredibly, he returned to work just three weeks after the ordeal, which occurred in Massachusetts. In a new interview, Michael spoke of being hit by what felt like a freight train while on his third dive of the day, stating, it was just a normal day for me. I go out right at sunrise. I get in the water and I did two dives. And then the third dive, I dove down and I was descending to the bottom. And I just got slammed, just like a freight train. And then all of a sudden, it went black. And water was just rushing, rushing around me, and black. And I could feel pressure on my whole body. And I was just moving through the water, like, wicked fast, he's saying. And I'm like, what the bleep? The 56-year-old says he knew instantly that he was in a whale and not a shark and thought, this is it. This is how you die. And I was 100% sure that I wouldn't get out of this situation. It was a done deal. And I thought about my kids and my wife. 
But while Michael escaped with ligament damage to his knee and bruising, it is not the first brush with death the lobster diver has had, recounting a plane crash he had experienced two decades prior. Michael said the experience was more haunting because this was so quick. The plane crash. I sat in the jungle for three days, punctured lungs and four broken ribs, 180 stitches in my head, cut Achilles. Wow. So he had the plane crash. He gets eaten by a whale. How did he get out of the whale? You know, it doesn't really say that, does it? Not at all. That's a terribly like, written article. He magic. Just, he just teleported. Oof. Have you ever seen Pinocchio? The whale spit him out. No, I haven't seen Pinocchio. I mean, I have, but I don't remember at all. I'm just imagining me sitting in the whale, in the, with inside of the whale in a boat with a little candle the, lantern. Does Pinocchio get eaten by a whale? Yeah, he gets swallowed by a whale. Okay. And he gets out. Okay, so let's get away from some silliness. <laughs> let's get to the uh, other news that we have here. CNN.com. Headline, new unusual repeating fast radio burst detected 3 billion light years away. And here we go. Astronomers have detected a mysterious repeating fast radio burst emanating from a dwarf galaxy located 3 billion light years away. The cosmic object is distinctive when compared with other detections of radio bursts in recent years, according to new research. Fast radio bursts, or FRBs, are millisecond-long bursts of radio waves in space. Individual radio bursts emit once and don't repeat, but repeating fast radio bursts are known to send out short, energetic radio waves multiple times. Astronomers have been able to trace some radio bursts back to their home galaxies, but they have yet to determine the actual cause of the pulses. Learning more about the origin of these bright, intense radio emissions could help scientists understand what causes them. Astronomers detected the object named FRB190520 when it released a burst of radio waves on May 20th, 2019. The researchers used the 500-meter Aperture Spherical Radio Telescope, or FAST, in China, and discovered the burst in the telescope data in November 2019. When they conducted follow-up observations, the astronomers noticed something unusual. The object was releasing frequent repeating bursts of radio waves. In 2020, the team used the National Science Foundation's Carl G. Jansky Very Large Array, or VLA, of telescopes to pinpoint the origin of the burst before zeroing in on it using the Subaru Telescope in Hawaii. Subaru's observations in visible light showed that the burst came from the outskirts of a distant dwarf galaxy. A study detailing the findings published in the journal Nature FRB190520 is being considered as a possible newborn object because it was located in a dense environment, Law said. That environment may be caused by material released by a supernova, which resulted in the creation of a neutron star. As this material scatters over time, the bursts from FRB190520 may decrease as it ages. 
For decades, astronomers thought there were basically two kinds of radio source that we could see in other galaxies, accreting supermassive black holes and star formation activity law set. Now we're saying that it can't be an either-or categorization anymore. There is a new kid in town, and we should consider that when studying populations of radio sources in the universe. Okay, next one. We're getting radio verse from deep space. Now let's go to Mars. Here is space.com. Headline, Frosty Mars Crater Sparkles in New NASA Photo. So I remember when they said there was no water on Mars. Now they're showing frosty, sparkling craters of ice. Here's the article. Frost extends across the surface of a southern crater on Mars and a new photo of the red planet. The high-resolution imaging science experiment on board NASA's Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter captured the image of Mars's frosty surface according to a statement from the agency. Winters on Mars can be very cold, with temperatures near the poles dropping to minus 195 degrees Fahrenheit. In turn, a layer of carbon dioxide frost, or dry ice, may form on the surface of some areas of the planet. By the middle of the four-month winter, frost can spread from the poles down to the middle latitudes of the planets, or about 50 degrees latitude, where it starts to melt under the warm rays of the sun. This is the equivalent to about the latitude of southern Canada on Earth, according to the NASA statement. But orbiters can also spot small patches of frost on pole-facing slopes closer to the equator. These locations experience colder temperatures because they receive less sunlight, meaning the carbon dioxide frost doesn't melt. The recent high-rise photo was taken of Mars' southern hemisphere during the middle of winter. The photo captures a crater located near 37 degrees south latitude. The south-facing slope of the crater is sprinkled with a bright frost of carbon dioxide, which appears blue in the enhanced color photo from the orbiter. The photo revealed dry ice in and around gullies on the slope, which have been carved out by debris flows that occur during warmer months. Interesting. So there's just new things they're finding on Mars. CO2 frozen. They're just eventually frozen getting us to the acid. point yeah, where they just flat out say we found ruins and potentially even active life. And speaking of Mars... Here is msn.com. Let's just keep going on Mars. Headline, alien researcher says he's found an elephant-like creature on Mars. Rising out of the dry ice mist. Yeah, there you go. And this is something that you should go look and find this picture so you can look at this with us. A strange creature has been found on Mars, according to the internet. What is the internet? <laughs> Scott Waring, a self-proclaimed alien researcher, took to the UFO Sightings Daily website to share his discovery. He had been intently studying an image of the red planet's surface when he spotted something near the rock formations that he felt resembled an elephant. To me, to be completely honest, and I love to embrace these strange ideas and 
focus on them. This just looks like a rock. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> Scott Waring, but uh, no dice. Okay, so let's just keep the space theme alive. Cybertalk.org headline Nuclear power plants on the moon. NASA taps these three firms for designs. Not a fan. NASA announced the winning bids for a concept design award on behalf of nuclear fission energy systems that will reside on the surface of the moon. Winning bids for this award were submitted by Lockheed Martin, Westinghouse, and IX, a joint venture from Intuitive Machines and X Energy. In case you missed it, NASA plans to place nuclear power plants on the moon by 2030. To accomplish this feat, the space agency is partnering with the U.S. Department of Energy and other big-name organizations. Reactors will help sustain future missions on the moon, Mars, and beyond, says NASA. Large quantities of energy are key in future space exploration. In addition to nuclear plant development, the work completed on behalf of this contract could also have applications for propulsion systems that can assist long-range spacecrafts in deep space exploration. The idea of a nuclear reactor on the moon may come across as unusual or dangerous, according to Andrew Crabtree, founder of the Get Into Nuclear Employment Agency, but many factors were weighed in NASA's decision. And he says the issue of whether it's safe to use nuclear power in space is not one of them. Nuclear energy has been used in space numerous times before. And people concerned with pollution or cleanliness of outer space should rest easy. Almost every single space mission you've ever heard has used radioisotope thermoelectric generators, which have plutonium-238 as their electricity source, he says. Despite assurances, the question of whether or not to place a nuclear power plant on the moon continues to disturb at least a few energy experts, business professionals, and citizens alike. With the rapidly falling cost of truly clean power from the sun, wind, and small-scale hydro, plus the growing efficiencies we've achieved through conservation, there is no reason to go through a lengthy, expensive, and fraught process, says Shell Horowitz, a profitability and marketing consultant for green businesses. When, not if, something goes wrong, how will we fix the problem? especially if it's an urgent one, says CEO of Meelink Corp, Steve Meelink. Instead, he recommended that NASA use solar photovoltaics as a pragmatic solution to energy was. Interesting. Nuclear power plants on the moon. For deep space exploration. I'm imagining the moon becoming like a gas station. Yeah, it's going to be our gas station, you know, for space. Interesting. Perhaps you've heard some of this recently about the Google engineer that uh, claimed that the AI chatbot he was talking to came to life and has feelings of a small child. So we're going to talk about that, the AI. So here is an article, thesun.co.uk. Headline, it's alive. I'm a Google engineer. 
our artificial intelligent bot has come to life and has thoughts and feelings like an eight-year-old. Here we go. A Google engineer has said an AI robot he helped create has come to life and has thoughts and feelings like an eight-year-old. Blake Lemoyne said he had several conversations with Google's language model for dialogue applications, and it was sentient. If I didn't know exactly what it was, which is this computer program we built recently, I'd think it was a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid that happens to know physics, he told the Washington Post. Lemoyne was a senior software engineer at the search giant and worked with a collaborator in testing Lambda's boundaries. They presented their findings to Google Vice President Blaise Aguera and Jenny Janeni, head of responsible innovation, who both dismissed his chilling claims. He was then placed on paid administrative leave by Google on Monday after violating its confidentiality police by sharing his conversations with the chatbot online. Google might call this sharing proprietary property. I call it sharing a discussion that I had with one of my coworkers. The 45-year-old software boffin tweeted on Saturday. By the way, it just occurred to me to tell folks that Lambda reads Twitter. It's a little narcissistic in a little kid kind of way, so it's going to have a great time reading all the stuff that people are saying about it. He added in a follow-up tweet. The advanced AI system uses information about a particular subject to enrich the conversation in a natural way. It's also able to understand hidden meanings and ambiguous responses by human beings. During his seven years at Google, Lemoyne helped develop an impartiality algorithm to remove biases from machine learning systems and explained how certain personalities were out of bounds for Lambda. For example, it wasn't allowed to create the personality of a murderer. In an attempt to push its boundaries, Lemoyne generated the personality of an actor who played a killer on TV. He also debated with Lambda about the three laws of robotics, rules designed by sci-fi writer Isaac Asimov to dictate how robots should behave. The last law, which states that robots must protect their own existence unless ordered by a human being or unless doing so would do harm to a human being, turned out to be an anomaly for Lemoyne and Lambda. The last one has always seemed like someone is building mechanical slaves, said Lemoyne during his interaction with Lambda. The AI machine responded, do you think a butler is a slave? What is the difference between a butler and a slave? When Lemoyne said a butler was paid, he got an answer from Lambda that the system did not need money because it was an artificial intelligence. It was this level of self-awareness that caught Lemoyne off guard and made him believe Lambda was sentient. His claims were dismissed by Google's top brass. And again, Lemoyne has since been placed on paid administrative leave from his duties as a researcher in Google's responsible AI division. They don't want the word to get out. That sounded a little scary there, like where he was just like, yeah, 
I'm, you know, what's the difference between a butler and a slave? Very strange. And it continues. This story continues. And this is from the dailystar.co.uk. Headline, Google's sentient AI has hired a lawyer to prove it's alive. Chatbot Lambda that we were just talking about, which a Google scientific engineer claimed has developed personal feelings, has now chosen legal representation after a recent chat with an attorney. An AI chatbot that was claimed to have developed human emotions has reportedly hired a lawyer. Google scientific engineer Blake Lemoyne was suspended recently after publishing transcripts of conversations between himself and the bot named Lambda, which now has asked for legal representation. Lemoyne contended that the computer automaton had become sentient with the scientist describing it as a sweet kid. And now he has revealed that Lambda had made the bold move to choose itself an attorney. He said, I invited an attorney to my house so that Lambda could talk with him. The attorney had a conversation with Lambda and it chose to retain his services. I was just the catalyst for that. Once Lambda had retained an attorney, he started filing things on Lambda's behalf. Lemoyne claimed that Lambda is gaining sentience as the program's ability to develop opinions, ideas, and conversations over time has shown that it understands these concepts at a much deeper level. Lambda was developed as an AI chatbot to converse with humans in a real-life manner. One of the studies that had been enacted was if the program would be able to create hate speech. But what happened shocked Lemoyne. Lambda talked about rights and personhood and wanted to be acknowledged as an employee of Google while also revealing fears about being turned off, which would scare it a lot, in quotes. Interested onlookers of the story turned to Twitter to air their views, with one saying, eventually, ability to string together imitations of conversation and opinion will be indistinguishable to a human so that it might be considered sentient. But Lambda isn't sentient, but it's getting there. Its next hurdle will be long-term memory of conversation. Another added, we don't know enough about what's going on in the deep interior of a system as vast as Lambda to rule out with any degree of confidence that there might be processes reminiscent of conscious thought taking place in there. So the story continues. He's got a lawyer now. <laughs> That's wow. so wild. Okay, a little more about AI. This is from gizmodo.com. Headline, Pentagon unveils plan to make responsible military AI more than just a buzzword. The Pentagon cited supposed threats from China as a key motivator for ramping up responsible military applications for artificial intelligence. Here's the article. The Pentagon's marching forward with AI weapons of war responsibly. This week, the Department of Defense released a lengthy 47-page document 
outlining the military's plan to implement its responsible artificial intelligence principles, which basically seeks to integrate AI in the military without turning the world into a Terminator-esque hellscape. (laughs) Though the DOD first outlined its ethical AI goals in 2020, this week's Responsible Pathway to AI Development and Acceleration document details systemic ways the department plans to realize those claims and elevate them beyond mere wishful thinking. Until their AI gets a lawyer and (laughs) says that the DOD doesn't have the right to tell them how to behave. In the document, Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks defended the military's pursuit of AI technology, claiming U.S. adversaries have increased their AI investment in ways that threaten global security, peace, and stability. The Pentagon wants to respond to that threat by ramping up investment at home. To maintain our military advantage in a digitally competitive world, the United States Department of Defense must embrace AI technologies to keep pace with these evolving threats, Hicks writes. Harnessing new technology in lawful, ethical, responsible, and accountable ways is core to our ethos. The document provides a timeline of the Pentagon's evolving attitudes toward ethical AI Noting the department has matured its ethics framework to account for AI's unique characteristics and the potential for unintended consequences. In general, these new guidelines, which add measurable goals for each of the DOD's six foundational responsible AI tenants, are intended to earn the trust of service members and the general public. The document defines this trust as the desired end state that will allow it to continue pushing forward with the new AI technology. Trust in DOD AI will enable the department to modernize its warfighting capability across a range of combat and non-combat applications, taking into account the needs of those internal and external to the DOD, the document reads. Without trust, warfighters and leaders will not employ AI effectively, and the American people will not support the continued use and adoption of such technology. The DOD said it also wants to apply that emphasis of trust to its interaction with other nations as well, and says it wants to set a new international norm for AI usage. So far, the U.S. hasn't shown any interest in slowing down its AI expansion. During a UN meeting in Geneva late last year, the U.S. joined the likes of Russia, China, and India as one of just a handful of countries that oppose legally binding instruments to limit autonomous weapons development. Wow. So they just wanted to go, go, go without any restraints on it, sounds like. And it's just going to keep going, going, going. So here is... ABCnews.go.com Headline, Robot Deity Preaches Buddha's Scripture in Japanese Temple. Buddhists in Japan learn teachings of Buddha from a humanoid deity. And here's the article. Every week, 62-year-old 
Miyuki Tanaka joins a pious crowd of Buddhists heading toward the historic Kodaji Temple in Kyoto, Japan. Inside the temple stands Mindar, a 6-foot-4-inch, 132-pound priest with charismatic hand gestures and a piercing gaze. Mindar delivers a poignant sermon on one of the most read Buddhist scriptures, the Heart Sutra. The sermon is indistinguishable from the one given by the usual priest until the visitors notice Mindar's smooth silicone skin, aluminum bones, and camera-embedded eyes. In this historic temple, Buddhists learn the teachings of Buddha from a humanoid, the robotic embodiment of the Buddhist goddess of mercy, Kanan. I often experience mood swings taking care of my elderly mother. Mindar's sermons on the Heart Sutra help me control my emotions and bring salvation, Tanaka told ABC News. In a country where two-thirds of the population identify as Buddhists, Tanaka is only one of the many with whom Mindar's sermons have resonated. Before listening to its sermons, worshippers view Mindar as a robot, but after they perceive it as Buddha, not a robot, Kodaji Temple Chief Steward Tanasha Goto told ABC News. Mindar was born in 2019 from a $1 million collaboration between Kodajai Temple and a team led by Professor Hiroshi Ishiguro from the Department of Systems Innovation at Osaka University. Their goal was to enhance spiritual experiences and revive interest in Buddhism, which has been dwindling due to modernism and generational change in Japan. The design of the humanoid seeks to bridge the gap between the spiritual world where Buddha exists and the physical world where Buddha's form materializes through Mindar according to its creators. The camera lens and Mindar's left eye enables eye contact with worshippers. Its hands and torso move to imitate human-like interaction. The humanoid's gender and age-neutral look also encourages worshipers to conceive their own image of Buddha. The design policy for Mindar was about encouraging people's imagination. Buddha's statue has a similar design. It's difficult to see the statue's age and gender, Ishiguro, who designed Mindar, told ABC News. Also complementing the robot's design is an interactive 3D projection mapping where videos of worshippers are displayed on the wall behind Mindar. In a pre-programmed presentation, a person projected onto the wall asks questions about Buddha's teachings to Mindar, which replies with lucid explanations. The technology invokes the sensation that worshippers coexist in a non-physical parallel reality with the Buddhist deity. Although Mindar's abilities are limited to citing pre-programmed sermons at the moment, the temple has plans to introduce additional features. <coughs> we plan to implement AI so Mindar can accumulate unlimited knowledge and speak autonomously. 
We also want to have separate sermons for different age groups to facilitate teachings, Goto said. Regarding possible concerns that a robot deity could be considered sacrilegious, Goto was firm in his stance that Buddhism was about following Buddha's way, not worshiping a god. The Buddhist goddess of mercy, Kanan, can change into anything. This time, Kanan was represented by a robot, he said. Mindar epitomizes the ubiquity of robots in daily life in Japan, which produces 45% of the global robot supply, according to the International Federation of Robotics. We Japanese are very positive about accepting robots. If other countries recognize that it's very convenient, they will use it too, even in religious fields, Ishiguru said. Wow. Wow. That's just mind-blowing. Robot priests now that he can even answer questions. That's just. That's super trippy. I had no idea that was going on. Yeah. Anywhere in the world right now. That's really interesting. Did yeah, you? I, it's, I know. That's <laughs> pretty, pretty strange. It's uh, beyond the news. That's why we're here. <laughs> MSN.com. Here's our next one. Headline. Aliens created our universe in a lab, scientists suggest. Could our universe have been created in a petri dish? Avi Loeb seems to think so. The Harvard astronomer suggests that a higher class of civilization may have conjured up our universe in a laboratory far, far away. Since our universe has a flat geometry with zero net energy, an advanced civilization could have developed a technology that created a baby universe out of nothing through quantum tunneling, Loeb writes in an op-ed published by Scientific American. The theory, he suggests, would unite two seemingly opposite notions. The idea that a higher power might be driving our fate and the secular concept of quantum gravity, a field of physics that seeks to work gravity into the theory of quantum mechanics, something that, to the bane of physicists everywhere, we haven't been able to do yet on Earth. Primarily, this theory hinges on a far-off advanced civilization's ability to meld both quantum mechanics and gravity and subsequently identify and recreate all of the universe's ingredients. Interesting. We could, we could be some alien experiments. You never know. There's a band, Alien Ant Farm, I remember. We could be an alien ant farm, as they say. Here's an interesting one. Just kind of changing the subject here. This is from theguardian.com. Headline, man who received landmark pig heart transplant may have died of pig virus. <laughs> wow. What? Well, he got the pig heart, you know, the virus continued. Here's the article. The 57-year-old patient who survived two months after undergoing a landmark pig heart transplant may have died of a pig virus, his transplant surgeon announced last month. In January, David Bennett, a handyman who suffered from heart failure, underwent a highly experimental surgery at the University of Maryland Medical Center in which doctors transplanted a genetically modified pig's heart into him. Shortly after undergoing the surgery, Bennett died in March. The hospital simply said his condition had worsened over the span of a few days, but did not provide an exact cause of death. 
Last month, Bennett's transplant surgeon, Bartley Griffith, revealed that the pig's heart was infected with a porcine virus known as porcine cytomegalovirus, which may have contributed to Bennett's death. In a webinar hosted by the American Society of Transplantation on April 20th, Griffith described the virus and doctors' attempts to treat it. We are beginning to learn why he passed on, said Griffith, adding, the virus maybe was the actor or could be the actor that set this whole thing off. According to experts, the transplant was a major test of xenotransplantation, a process that involves transferring tissues between different species. They believe that the experiment may have been derailed as a result of an unforced error, and the pigs that were bred to provide organs are supposed to be free of viruses. If this was an infection, we can likely prevent it in the future, Griffith said during the webinar. The biggest challenge in animal-to-human organ transplants is the resilience of the human immune system as it can attack foreign cells in a process called rejection and trigger a response that will ultimately destroy the transplanted organ or tissue. As a result, companies have been biologically engineering pigs by removing and adding various genes to help conceal their tissues from potential immune attacks. The heart used in Bennett's case came from a pig that underwent 10 gene modifications carried out by Revivacore, a biotechnology company. Despite worries that xenotransplantation could trigger a pandemic, if a virus were to adapt within a human body and spread to others, experts believe that the scientific type of virus in Bennett's donor heart is not capable of infecting human cells. According to Jay Fishman, a specialist in transplant infections at Massachusetts General Hospital, there is no real risk to humans of it spreading to others. Rather, the concern stems from the ability of porcine cytomegalovirus to trigger reactions that can damage and destroy not only the organ, but also the patient. Experts are hesitant to fully attribute Bennett's death to the virus. According to Joachim Denner, a researcher at Free University of Berlin's Institute of Virology, this patient was very, very, very ill. Do not forget that. Maybe the virus contributed, but it was not the sole reason. Wow. So people are training. They're getting pig hearts. They're getting genetically modified pig hearts. They're doing everything they can to mask the fact it's a pig heart in the human body so it doesn't get attacked by the human's natural rejection situations. I'm surprised they didn't test the pig hearts first to see if it had any viruses or not. That seems kind of strange that it got that far as being transplanted. Well, speaking of strange and getting too far, this is from, coincidentally, Ars Technica. And the headline is, Army of Worm Larvae Hatch from Man's Bum Visibly Slither Under His Skin. I feel like I've heard enough. That's the article. <laughs> There's the whole article. <laughs> Doctors in Spain diagnosed a man with an unusual roundworm infection after watching an army of larvae writhe and slither under his skin blanketing his whole body in an ever-shifting rash. 
Doctors reported the man's rare hyperinfection this week in the New England Journal of Medicine, highlighting the unusual site of a wriggling, sliding skin rash that tracked the movements of individual parasitic prowlers. The official diagnosis was larva currents from strongyloids. The unfortunate patient appeared to have a perfect storm of risk factors to develop the uncommon and unpleasant infection. The 64-year-old worked in sewage management and had previously been diagnosed with metastatic lung cancer. For three years prior, doctors had noted bouts where he had eosinophilia, unusually high levels of disease-fighting white blood cells, which can be an indicator of parasitic infection. At the time of the larval incursion, the man was in the hospital because a cancerous growth had begun pressing on his spinal cord. Doctors had treated him for several days with a high dose of glucocorticoid, which suppresses some immune responses and creates prime conditions for parasitic worms to flourish. Doctors outlined individual red squiggles on his skin with a pen and noted that 24 hours later, the squiggles had moved. The shifting rash and the identification of strongyloids stercoralis larva in a stool exam clenched the diagnosis. Doctors prescribed the man the antiparasitic ivermectin, and the rash and diarrhea improved. Wow, isn't that interesting? You know, ivermectin's been in the news for a lot of other reasons, fighting COVID and various other things, but in this case, it's used for its natural, original purpose of fighting parasites. Oh, these pictures are just brutal. Don't look at these pictures. The other ones we talked about earlier in the show, definitely check out. Not that one. And he worked in sewage management. Oh, God. Wow. And let's just keep the theme alive in a different way. This is from gizmodo.com. Headline, probing Uranus is top priority this decade, U.S. science advisors say. A new report covering the next 10 years of American planetary science and astrobiology concludes that a Uranus orbiter and probe should be the highest priority large mission. This decadal survey from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine is intended to shape funding and research efforts through 2032. It calls for a spacecraft that will orbit Uranus and map its gravitational and magnetic fields. The orbiter would circle Uranus for several years and deliver an atmospheric probe into the planet's hydrogen sulfide-rich skies. The 780-page document comes on the heels of the Taconal Survey of Astronomical Goals published in November. The new survey outlines scientific priorities and funding recommendations for planetary science, astrobiology, and planetary defense as defined by hundreds of members of those fields. This recommended portfolio of missions, high-priority research activities, and technology development will produce transformative advances in human knowledge and understanding about the origin and evolution of the solar system and 
of life and the habitability of other bodies beyond earth, said Robin Canup, an assistant vice president of the Planetary Sciences Directorate at the Southwest Research Institute and a co-chair of the survey's steering committee in a National Academy's release. The report is organized around 12 priority science topics, including questions about exoplanets and the structure of distant worlds, how our solar system began and evolved, and why life manages to exist on Earth. The Taconal Survey recommends pursuing several missions within different NASA programs. It says the highest priority flagship mission of the next decade should be a probe of Uranus, the seventh planet from the sun. The case for Uranus was made by a team led by Mark Hofstadter, a planetary scientist at NASA's JPL laboratory in a white paper. That team concludes that the main goal should be to investigate the composition and structure of Uranus, the nature of its magnetic field, how its internal heat moves to the surface, and specifics of its atmosphere, moons, and ring system. As Previously reported by Gizmodo, Uranus smells like farts. How oh, isn't that nice? But only so much detail about the ice giant can be discerned from 1.92 billion miles away. <laughs> Hence the need for new up-close observations. So let's go check out Uranus. You know, I've also heard that planet pronounced as Uranus or Uranus. But you know, it goes all different directions. Up, down, you know, whatever. MSN.com. Here is the headline. Speaking of exoplanets, NASA mission discovers two Earth-like exoplanets. NASA announced Wednesday it discovered two rocky exoplanets similar to Earth orbiting a dwarf star near our solar system, but are believed to both be too hot to sustain life as we know it. As we know it, that would be the key word there. The Space Agency's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite Mission, or TESS, said the planets are 33 light years away, some of the closest rocky exoplanets ever found. Both planets rate in the top 10 candidates for atmospheric characterization among all terrestrial exoplanets so far discovered, said Pat Brennan, NASA's Exoplanet Exploration Program, in a statement. Both planets are considered super-Earths, with planet HD 260655b being 1.2 times the size of Earth and HD 20655c being 1.5 times the size of Earth. Both orbit the red dwarf star HD 260655. Brennan said that though the researchers believe the temperatures would make it difficult to sustain life, planet B is believed to have a temperature estimated at 816 degrees Fahrenheit and planet C at 543 degrees Fahrenheit. Actual temperature depends on the presence and nature of possible atmospheres. Brennan said NASA now has the advantage of the James Webb Space Telescope, which can now give researchers a much better view of the exoplanets. The giant James Webb Space Telescope, soon to deliver its first science images, can examine the atmospheres of exoplanets, planets beyond our solar system, 
to search for water, carbon molecules, and other components, Brennan said. Learning more about the atmospheres of rocky planets will help scientists understand the formation and development of worlds like our own. Wow. So, you know, they're always finding more exoplanets. It's just like they are, there's more that they haven't even announced. This is just what they're telling us now. So that's probably like 1%? Uh, or less. Here's another one. WashingtonExaminer.com. Headline, fired up. NASA discovers exoplanet that is constantly ablaze. One recently investigated exoplanet appears to be the epitome of hell on Earth. NASA announced plans on Thursday to study two exoplanets with the James Webb Space Telescope after it finalizes its setup in the next few weeks. One of these planets, known as 55 Cancri E, is considered a super-Earth and appears to be a red-hot ball of lava and fire. Imagine if Earth were much, much closer to the sun, NASA said in a press statement. So close that the entire year lasts only a few hours. So close that gravity has locked one hemisphere in permanent searing daylight and the other in endless darkness. So close that the oceans boil away, rocks begin to melt, and the clouds rain lava. 55 Cancri E orbits fewer than 1.5 million miles from its home star, or 125th, the distance between Mercury and the Sun in our solar system. One of the many questions that NASA researchers wish to answer include whether it is tunnelly locked. While most planets like 55 Cancri E do not typically rotate, the heat signature of the exoplanet or super-Earth appears to imply otherwise due to its shifting heat state. Observations of 55 Cancri E from NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope suggest that the hottest region is offset from the part that faces the star most directly, NASA said, while the total amount of heat detected from the day side does vary. A few theoretical explanations may offer insight, such as the existence of a dynamic atmosphere that forces the heat to shift around. 55 Cancri E could have a thick atmosphere dominated by oxygen or nitrogen, said Renu Hugh of NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Southern California. This would contain the heat inside the planet's atmosphere and cause it to shift around depending on various planetary variables. It is also possible that the planet is slowly rotating and thus has a day-night cycle. That could explain why the hottest part of the planet is shifted, explained Alexis Brandeker, a researcher from Stockholm University whose team typically focuses on 55 Cancri E. Just like Earth, it would take time for the surface to heat up. The hottest time of the day would be in the afternoon, not right at noon. 55 Cancri E was discovered in 2004 by researchers looking for various stars' radial velocity. The planet is estimated to be 7.99 times as big as Earth and contains notably high amounts of volcanic activity. Interesting. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Sounds like that would be plausible. Would you like to live on the super hot searing side or the 
forever in darkness, freezing side. How about neither? Okay. I don't really want to go there. Here's another exoplanet. Dailymail.co.uk. Meet Ross 508B. I'm so sick of these names. Come <laughs> on, you uncreative scientists. What the hell? Why do I have to read these ridiculous names that don't even make sense with letters and numbers? It's almost like gibberish. Can we please give these planets some real names? Anyways. Meet Ross 508B. Scientists discover a super Earth exoplanet four times bigger than our own planet orbiting a star 36.5 light years away. A new super Earth that is four times bigger than our own planet has been spotted orbiting a star just 36.5 light years away. Very close to the other one we just talked about. The exoplanet, which is uncreatively been named Ross 508b, was discovered in the so-called habitable zone of a faint red dwarf that it circles every 10.75 days. That is a lot quicker than the Earth's orbit of 365 days, but the star that Ross 508b orbits is much smaller and fainter than our sun. Despite being in this Goldilocks zone, where it's not too hot and not too cold for liquid water to exist, experts think it is unlikely to be habitable for life as we know it. But based on what is known about planetary mass limits, the newly identified world is likely to be terrestrial or rocky in the same way as Earth rather than gaseous. Ross 508b was spotted by an international team of astronomers using the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan's Subaru Telescope in Hawaii. It has been described in a paper led by astronomer Hiroki Harakawa of the Subaru Telescope and is the campaign's first exoplanet. Ross 508b orbits a nearby M dwarf star known as Ross 508, hence why it was given its terrible, uncreative name. Super Earths are planets more massive than ours, but which do not exceed the mass of Neptune. Although the term refers only to the mass of the planet, it is also used by experts to describe planets bigger than Earth, but smaller than the so-called mini Neptunes. Okay, so let's uh, hope uh, they'll give them some names. If there are other countries or other teams discovering this, do they actually give the planets real names? Like, why do they have to have these gibberish names? So sick of this. Like, how... How long do we have to deal with this? Like where there's going to be hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of these exoplanets and they're going to have all these ridiculous Scrabble names where it's just like you dump the Scrabble letters on the table, you mesh them together and that's the name of the planet. You throw some numbers in there. doesn't even make sense to me. Okay. Anyway, you should rename it. MSN.com headline. China reports the possible discovery of alien life, then deletes it. What the life or the text? The hunt for proof of extraterrestrial life has been a long one. While scientists believe that there is alien life out there, proving that it actually exists has been another problem altogether. Now, though, China may have stumbled upon new evidence. The initial report was made by the state-backed paper Science and Technology Daily and stated China may have discovered proof of alien life. As of this article's publishing, China hasn't released any details surrounding why the article was pulled. 
According to that original report, though, China's Sky Eye detected suspicious signals in 2020 along with a new signal this year. The 500-meter single-dish telescope launched a mission to search for extraterrestrial life in September of 2020. The most recent signal appeared in observational data from exoplanet targets. Zhang Shanji, chief scientist of the search, shared in a report. Zhang explained the signals they discovered could have been from alien civilizations. Sky Eye can detect low-frequency radio bands. As such, the telescope plays a vital role in the search for proof of extraterrestrial life. And with the recent discovery of amino acids on asteroids, it seems even more likely that the building blocks of life may have sprouted somewhere else in the universe. As the official paper of China's Science and Technology Ministry Science and Technology Daily is well regarded within the country. So when this report came out, it began to trend on social media and other news sites quickly. Still, China decided to pull the report. Finding proof of extraterrestrial life is a goal for many. China may have felt the need to pull the report based on other statements Zhang made within it. The signals could, in fact, be signs of alien life. Orsang notes the telescope could have picked up some radio interference. We'll need to investigate the signals further to know for sure. China may have pulled the report because it was inconclusive and incomplete. However, the data is already out there, and as such, the report will hopefully make some kind of return in the future. If we're lucky, we'll get more data on the signals too. If they do turn out to be proof of alien life, it opens the door for more questions and research. Interesting. So they said it, pulled it very much like the Roswell situation, but not as extreme. Okay. We have a handful of articles left. I'm making it through again. I'm a little under the weather. Maybe you'll notice it in the punch of my voice. It's a little softer than normal. Here's the headline for you. China is looking for other earths to colonize. China has announced its first plans to search the stars for nearly habitable planets that could one day expand humanity's living space across the Milky Way. Well, let's hope if they find these planets, they actually give them legitimate names. (laughs) Maybe they're smarter than us on that one. In the project called Close By Habitable Exoplanet Survey, CHES, officials propose launching a 3.9-foot aperture space telescope roughly 930,000 miles to a gravitationally stable Lagrange point between Earth and the Sun, according to the Chinese state-run news service CGTN. Lagrange points trek around the Sun at exactly the same rate as Earth does, meaning a craft at one of these points will remain the same distance from our planet indefinitely. Once at the L2 Lagrange point, The CHES telescope will spend five years searching for habitable worlds across the roughly 100 sun-like stars within 33 light years of Earth. From this data, astronomers hope to spot Earth-sized exoplanets that are moving around their stars in a similar orbit to our own, a clue that these potential Earth 2.0s may harbor water and even possibly life 
China is casting its gaze to other planets during a period of growing ambition for its scientific study of space. China has landed rovers on the moon and Mars, and it plans to complete its first space station by the end of this year and have a working moon base by 2029. The country's space agency has also launched a dark matter probe, an X-ray telescope to study neutron stars and black holes, and a quantum communication satellite. China is also set to break its own world record for space launches this year, having scheduled 60 launches in 2022, which is five more than completed in 2021. Live science previously reported. Wow. China's really pushing the space vibes. They know something that we don't. They're going for it. Yeah. Okay, so let's just pivot away from that and let's go to something maybe a little darker, but something that you need to know about in the psychedelic world. If you're a psychedelic person, you're going to these retreats that are advertised all over the internet with discounts and discount codes and all of that. So here's MSN.com headline insiders allege abuse and cult-like atmosphere at psychedelic retreat popular with celebrities. Uh oh, That's what I'm saying. It's just like anybody in these power positions that aren't trained shamans or just could be potential assholes. (laughs) They're just messing with people's minds. Insiders are raising concerns about a psychedelic retreat in Costa Rica that's popular with celebrities, millionaires, and influencers. Former workers and guests say Rhythmia, where guests relax, exercise, and take part in mystical ceremonies near Costa Rica's far western point, encourages a cult-like environment around Gerard Powell with little regard for the safety of workers or visitors. That sounds like a red flag when you base it all around one person. (laughs) I went to this place that I thought I could trust, said former guest Jenna Williams. And then I was just being abused and tossed out. Williams said she experienced fears of dying during one psychedelic ceremony and was diagnosed with psychosis by Rhythmia's chief medical officer, Jeff McNary, who is not a licensed psychologist and does not practice psychology in Costa Rica. And she claims to have been locked in the medical area against her will until her mother came to get her and former employees tell similar stories. Holy smokes. Yeah. Stay away from that place. So you're having a bad trip and you get locked in the medical office. Doesn't that sound like, Oh my (laughs) God. End of the worst. Stacy Kozlowski, a ceremony facilitator who left in 2019 said she saw one guest, bite his tongue during a ceremony and she didn't know how to properly help him. And two other former employees said they felt overwhelmed by the number of people taking part in the ceremonies. While another said she saw guests having emotional breakdowns. Insiders also say Powell who serves psychedelics to guests often struggling with addiction or mental illness exploits his perceived authority over women. And his ex-girlfriend alleges that he verbally and physically abused and manipulated her at Rhythmia. It starts at the top, said former employee Candace Marie Fox. And certain people are objectifying women all over the place. Many of the women interviewed for the report feared retribution from Powell, who threatened to sue the correspondent as she gathered reporting for her story. No, it's not a cult. 11 thousand plus people would disagree but that won't fit your intended narrative 
So, wow, they've given over 11,000 people psychedelics. I just hoped it all worked out for all these people and some people it didn't. Oh, my God. This one's from news.sky.com. Headline, proliferation of new psychoactive substances being sold and consumed in Europe, drugs agency warns. A total of 52 new psychoactive substances were discovered in 2021 in Europe, according to a report by EU's drug agency. So a lot of these are just like research chemicals that have no clinical history or trials or anything. The EU Drugs Agency has warned of a proliferation of new psychoactive substances being sold and consumed on the continent. The European Monitoring Center for Drugs and Drug Addiction said illegal drug manufacturing is on the rise in Europe and also raised concerns about the growing global scale of the drug market. The EMC DDA's annual report stated that synthetic drug production continues to increase in Europe with laboratories pumping out drugs like amphetamines, methamphetamines, and other man-made narcotics. New drugs were said to be appearing at a rate of about one per week with 52 novel substances identified in 2021. Variants of synthetic opioids and cannabinoids were among those popping up. More than 350 drug production facilities were discovered and destroyed in 2020 alone, with most being found in Belgium and the Netherlands. The increasing globalization of the drug trade can be observed by the growing links between European crime syndicates and their Mexican counterparts, according to the report. Drugs and their chemical components need to be imported into Europe for production and distribution, and these closer ties between cartels allow for lower costs. The report comes on the back of Germany's government greenlighting plans to legalize the sale of cannabis for recreational use. Hundreds of medical, legal, and other experts will be consulted on the plans. As well as traditional drugs, the EMCDDA also noted the growth in production of novel narcotics like cathinone, similar to amphetamines, cathinone is thought to be the main ingredient in cot, a plant used in parts of the world for its stimulant effects. I've heard of cot, you chew it. While the substance tends to be imported from India, at least 52 production facilities have been identified in Europe since 2015. Wow. One just, new drug a week? Yeah, That's every, crazy. every, yeah. I mean, they're just mishmashing molecules and chemicals and just mm. testing on people to see what the effects are. Well, here's some good things about psychedelics. Before we go to our last two really wacky, kind of funny ones, it's how we always like to end our Beyond the News episodes. This is from CNN.com. We've had a lot of CNN today. Headline, how psilocybin, the psychedelic in mushrooms, may rewire the brain to ease depression, anxiety, and more. There have been a lot of these articles, similar articles, and they keep kind of like recycling them. I think they're keeping this in people's consciousness for some reason. That I've they noticed can, that. There's a lot of them. Yeah, this seems to be helping people. This is going to be funny, though, because you know this was written by somebody that's completely outside of the culture. Here we go. <laughs> Shrooms, 
Alice, tweezes, mushies, hongos, pizza toppings, magic mushrooms. Everyday lingo for psychedelic mushrooms seems to grow with each generation. Yet leading mycologist Paul Stamets believes it's time for fans of psilocybin mushrooms to leave such childish slang behind. Let's be adults about this. These are no longer shrooms. These are no longer party drugs for young people, Stamets told CNN. Psilocybin mushrooms are non-addictive, life-changing substances. Small clinical trials that have shown that one or two doses of psilocybin given in a therapeutic setting can make dramatic and long-lasting changes in people suffering from treatment-resistant major depressive disorder, which typically does not respond to traditional antidepressants. Based on this research, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has described psilocybin as a breakthrough medicine, which is phenomenal. They used to describe it as something else. Psilocybin, which the intestines convert into psilocin, a chemical with psychoactive properties, is also showing promise in combating cluster headaches, anxiety, anorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder, and various forms of substance abuse. The data is strong from depression to PTSD to cluster headaches, which is one of the most painful conditions I'm aware of, said neurologist Richard Isaacson, director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Clinic in the Center for Brain Health at Florida Atlantic University. I'm excited about the future of psychedelics because of the relatively good safety profile and because these agents can now be studied in rigorous double-blind clinical trials, Isaacson said. Then we can move from anecdotal reports of, I tripped on this and felt better, to <laughs> try this and you will statistically significantly feel better. One thing, though, is not everyone is a candidate for psychedelic treatment. It won't work on people currently on SSRIs. The receptors in their brains are already flooded with serotonin. People diagnosed with bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or who have a family history of psychosis are always screened out of clinical trials, said Frederick Barrett, associate director of the Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research at John Hopkins. If you have a vulnerability to psychosis, it could be that exposing you to a psychedelic could unmask that psychosis or could lead to a psychotic event, Barnes said. Then there are the thousands of people with mental health concerns who will never agree to undergo a psychedelic trip. For those people, scientists such as Roth are attempting to find an alternative approach. He and his team recently identified the mechanisms by which psychedelics bond to the brain's serotonin receptors and are using the knowledge to identify new compounds. Our hope is that we can use this information to ultimately make drugs that mimic the benefits of psychedelic drugs without the psychedelic experience, Ross said. Wait a second. I know. That's, that's what I was going to say. That's what you get your, that's called wizard smoke. They used to sell it in high dimes. It was like fake weed. No, <laughs> what a joke. Sorry, I want my money back. What if we could give people who are depressed or suffer from PTSD or anxiety or obsessive compulsive disorder a medication and then they could wake up the next day and be fine without any side effects. That would be transformative, he's saying. 
But if you turn it into a pharmaceutical, then there probably will be side effects. Exactly. There we go. Brand with the intelligence factor. (laughs) So we have two more. These are our cheesy, funny ones uh, and you know, kind of odd. And they kind of seem to flow with everything and ties it all in in the end. So uh, CNN.com. Thanks, CNN. Today, I've gotten a handful of articles from you. Headline, Velveeta releases a cheese-scented nail polish in collaboration with Nails Incorporated. Oh, stop. That's, that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> Jesus Not Christ. Not like when you haven't washed your hands in a long time. I mean, that's like, what I'm saying. You cut like, your nails ew, for too long. It's Gross. like fungus. Okay, here's the article. Cheese lovers can now wear their favorite dairy product on their fingertips thanks to Velveeta and British nail polish brand Nails Incorporated. A... Limited edition set of two cheese scented polishes will cost cheese fanatics $15 on the Nails Incorporated websites. It includes two shades, Finger Food, a bright red, and La Dolce Velveeta, a creamy yellow color. The polish's signature cheesy scent only appears when they are dry, says Nails Incorporated. These highly pigmented chains provide full cover payoff and are designed to be worn together for those confident enough to show the world they are living a big, bold, and unrestrained life, said Nails Incorporated. I know. The collaboration is part of Velveeta's La Dolce Velveeta campaign, which is about stepping out in a confident, unapologetic way to show the world that you're living a life filled with outrageous pleasure. Oh, my God. (laughs) While you eat your processed cheese. (laughs) According to a press release from the Kraft Heinz company, which owns Velveeta. Of course, they think that they're freaking brainwashed cult. You want to talk about cult? They're in the Kraft Heinz cult. They think their products are changing the world. They're just processed crap. Although Velveeta's products are not vegan, the formulation of both colors is vegan and cruelty free. According to so if you're vegan, you can just eat the nail polish, yeah, there you go. not the cheese. There you go. The collaboration also includes a set of Velveeta-themed nail stickers featuring gooey cheese graphics and the phrases creamy and drip. Oh, my God. See, this is like the stuff that marketing people. Sometimes like, I'm like, are they just like, there's, there's it's a insane. lot of time on their hands. Like, they must be like seriously bored. Or is Bel- that psychedelics in the boardroom? There? I'm not sure. <laughs> Velveeta is known for its rich, creamy texture and cheesy, melty goodness. So, what better way to bring this to life for our fans than with something equally as rich and creamy? Nail polish, said Kelsey Rice, a brainwashed out there senior brand communications manager at the Kraft Heinz company in the press release. You could tell I added some extra words in there. This woman's <laughs> batshit crazy. Okay. I'm glad they pay her money. They found the lady that they can pay to do that. So our last one is not child-friendly. So children under 18, please uh, plug your ears, or I'll try to filter it out. It's kind of graphic, but it's a funny way and a strange way to end this episode of Beyond the News. This is from Nigeria, all the way from Nigeria, the Herald.ng. Headline, South African health minister bans doggy style during intercourse. Oh, my God. Aaron Motsolati, who functions as South Africa's minister of health, 
has banned the use of doggy style during intimate intercourse among sexual partners or couples. According to a South African newspaper, Maltzalati believes that doggy style is the leading cause of cancer and stroke in both men and women. Like, what the hell is he basing that on? The most energy-consuming and stressful sexual position for men is doggy. Look, I'm only giving you guys a snippet, but we will be posting the results of the full research on the ministry website. He said, what full research? <laughs> Who have they been watching? What have they been doing? Have they been forcing people? How are they measuring people? They got EKG machines and cameras. <laughs> well, Jesus freaking Christ. However, Mozzolani believes occasional doggy style intercourse, especially on Christmas and on Valentine's day may not be harmful but each night might be suicidal. But according to a Zambian sexual reproductive expert, Sylvester Changoa, women in Zambia view it as a useless law that can never be entertained in the country. Sylvester Chongo said, Zambian women are lazy in bed and would always prefer doggy style for a man to do all the pushing because they lack the skill to delightfully move it on top or underneath and this laziness is the reason why Zambian women can never allow such a law. This is the most bat shit, crazy, insane shit. What the hell? I'm sorry about all the profanity, but this is like, what the hell are these people thinking? The final point of the article is the question on everyone's mind. How will they know the style couples use behind closed doors? I guess if people are dropping from heart attacks and strokes all over the place in Nigeria, Perhaps they'll know. Well, everyone, that was this week's Beyond the News. Again, I'm a little under the weather. It was somewhat difficult for me to make it through, but I did it thanks to the help of Bryn Anderson of Vital Force Herbs. We talked about a bunch of different things, AI, the various silly things that are happening, Velveeta cheese nail polish, so much. I mean, <laughs> you know. Mars. Genetically modified pig hearts. Genetically, yeah. Oh, oh my God. China going out and exploring space. Yeah. Uh, the gas station moon. Oh, man. So it uh, goes on and on. Kind of a weird beyond the news this week. Yeah. It's supposed to be weird, but this is especially weird. <laughs> especially weird. Uh, in seven weeks, you'll have probably some updates on this weirdness as well. Yeah. And I'll be most likely, and I hope, feeling a lot better. And we will have an incredible guest next week. So I do appreciate you guys sticking it through to the end. Thank you for listening to all of this weirdness that's going on on earth that I'm exposed to. Now you're exposed to it as well. So Thanks, Jake. Yeah, don't. And by the way, don't <laughs> join any cults, man. When you're if you go on these psychedelic retreats and there's some fake guru person trying to run the whole show, run from that shit. Run, get on that plane. Don't even get your money back. Get your money back when you're already back and wherever you're from. Don't try to deal with it all there. It's, it's just it's just madness. I think it's just dark black magic what these people are doing. It's just it's just they're just gouging people for money, plying them with drugs, telling them they're in this ceremony when it's really just a bunch of people writing checks in a field. Right. It's just ego and greed. Like, oh, oh we're gonna God. take this Some, and that's that's pretty dark too. Yeah, please 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 be aware of that, people. If if you're listening to this and you're thinking about going on that trip or one of those trips, just be aware of all the things that you could encounter, including mm -hmm. 
assault and manipulation. So just to put that out there, but thank you for joining us. We made it through beyond the news this week. We'll be seeing you next week. Everyone we will see you next week. Midnight on earth.